91 Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm. Available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. Welcome to another episode of Horror Movie Night. This week, we are talking about a movie that Kyle had mentioned he was going to pick, and then we just figured, why the fuck not? Let's just jump into it. So let's hop into the car, because we're talking about Christine. Yes, we are. It's a movie about a killer car, for those of you who don't know. That's why I made that hop in the car. (laughs) (laughs) Scott, this was was you? Yeah. This was a last-minute change, and there may be another last-minute change by the end of the summer. I went with this because... I believe that we were talking about Christine when we were talking about my other John Carpenter pick, The Fog. Yes. And I think that Carly said this is her favorite John Carpenter, right? She did. She had mentioned that it was her favorite John Carpenter, though she goes, she also mentioned In the Mouth of Madness, which is also a great episode that you guys had. She really likes Christine. And I think that, like, that's very telling and that's not to speak necessarily to Carly, but I think that that's, like, very telling of the type of movie that Christine is it's just such a good it's just and and it's obviously it's king and carpenter and like the perfect 
match in my mind that those two could have hooked up on. Yeah, well, and I and I said this on the Fog episode, and I and I said it kind of tongue in cheek, but there is an element of truth to it, which is what I I said. My favorite Carpenter movie is whatever one I'm watching at that time, and and what I actually mean by that is that I do think that his output is so consistently good that I'm having such a good time watching any one of his movies at any given moment that I'm always like, why don't I watch this one as much as I watch like blank, blank, and blank? Obviously. Big Trouble in Little China, The Thing, like those are my favorite Carpenter movies. Yeah. Those are the ones that I I love. But like, yeah, when I'm watching The Fog, I'm always like, why don't I watch this regularly? Yeah. And I felt the same way walking away from Christine. I was like, why haven't I not watched this movie since I was 19 years old? Yeah, yeah this is my <laughs> second watch ever. Same. I finished reading the book and then I watched it for the first time, like the same week. And I think my takeaway was like, oh, they, they cut a lot out from the book. And like, now that I don't remember anything about the book, I'm like, well, that's a really well-paced movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it works a lot better as a, as a John Carpenter film than a Stephen King adaptation. And I gotta say that I'm with you guys that this feels very Stephen King. It really, I don't know. And I would have never have clocked John Carpenter as being able to hit the vibe of Christine uh, specifically because I feel like Christine is is a great distillation of Stephen King's favorite tropes which is yes. kind of like a killer not an object and 50s rock and roll greasers you know a lot of that stuff that kind of is secondary to so much of his material that is really front and center in Christine the book and the movie and, and I I haven't read Christine in 25 years easily. You know, I mean, I might have been, I might have been 13 when I read it even. Like, I, it's been a long yeah. ass time. I had to reacquaint myself with the source material after watching the film so that I could kind of do a, an A-B comparison. You don't have to make a comparison because I think that this movie really sits in its own power as a great film and a great story it makes good cuts yeah because it, like, to it keep it at an right hour cuts. and yeah was an hour and 40 minutes i mean it's not long something like that yeah no it's it's smooth i think the other thing that's worth bringing up with this particular movie is one of the other things that reignited my desire to want to rewatch it is a podcast that i referred to in the past the high school slumber party podcast covered this and what they said and i and i watched it with this lens and they're absolutely right is that they were like, this movie really is just as much a teen high school movie as it is a horror movie. Like it it really spends time in that high school, it lingers in that high school, it hits kind of the tropes of a high school movie, and then it gets horror. And that's kind of where the horror actually works because it makes you understand these characters. Yeah. And like you the whole movie, you want Arnie to not continue down the path that he's going yeah. like they make him likable enough out the gate that it is really a tragic like it is a tragedy yes. at the end of this movie that arnie succumbs to the car that's the best thing about this movie is that i from what i remember from the book is arnie feels a lot less likable yes mm -hmm. and that's also a very stephen king thing to do is like because just as in the movie in the book arnie kind of shifts from being the main character very early on it to being through the 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 lens of his best friend mm -hmm. so you mm -hmm. know like I, I, witnessing it happen yeah, yeah and i think that that also is kind of a very tr king trope to follow through with which is like that sadness that deep despair of watching human horror 
unfold before you and not being able to do anything about it like that hopelessness i think is so king at least in his earlier stuff and i think that he really pushed towards that when he went away from horror more to fantasy and drama when he did Mm -hmm. under the dome basically you know like i think that i think of that that in hearts at atlantis when he really kind of embraced that part of his writing style and coincidentally super coincidentally it has nothing to do really with it um it has to do with my age at the same time but i really i got away from reading his material almost identical to the time when he moved into the drama and 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 fantastical yeah. stuff it, it well it's also it, you know it's interesting that you bring up like that they that they don't shift the narrative in this adaptation because it's kind of similar like let's go to the very beginning the first stephen king book and the first stephen king adaptation like Carrie is essentially written through a series of like interviews in the book. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So like they had to, they had, when De Palma made that movie, he had to come up with a narrator. He right. had to like, like and he I had to it make works. it focus. I really it was, think, it I, I think that mm-hmm. in the hands, Stephen King, here, here we go with Matt Kelly's weird comparisons. <laughs> Stephen King's material is very similar to Nick Cage as an actor. You need the right director who knows how to rein it in and utilize it. Yep. <laughs> Put in the wrong hands, you just have a mess like Lawnmower Man. <laughs> like you just have like a thing yes. that's just like this is all over the place. Or yeah. none of this kiss. connects to yeah, like Vampire's Kiss. Exactly. And you want to know the really fucking crazy thing about you mentioning Nick Cage is that he auditioned for the Buddy character in this. Can you imagine Buddy, the guy with the big sideburns yeah. who is yeah. Like yeah. the ringleader of the, the holy the bad guys. fuck. Somebody needs to just like face app the and put Nick Cage, young Nick Cage on him in all those scenes just so we could live that. That is fucking incredible. I think the biggest casting one where I was like, yeah, this movie wouldn't have worked with this person, even though I love this person, was that John Cusack was in the running to play Arnie. Uh, And I just don't think that would have worked for me. I know that they were thinking about Scott Bayo and they were like, oh, we want to go with more with unknowns. Which paid off. And I mean, it's ironic that like, Keith Gordon, who plays Arnie, you know, he had like a couple decent film roles in the 80s. He was uh, Rodney Dangerfield's son in Back to School. Mm -hmm. But if you go on his IMDb, he's directed more than he's acted at this point. So he's listed as a director above actor and has done, you know, like nothing. He hasn't had like this giant banger of, of movies per se. But he's directed some like big shows. He did The Killing. He did Dexter. He did a couple mm. episodes of Nurse Jackie. Mm. Like he's he's an active TV director still, like producing stuff that just came out in 2020. Yeah. So like, and I think yeah. that's important. I really do think that it's important to to be an a worker, like to work instead of having this ideal of like I need this movie to be like my one shining example of my skill you know i just i I don't know that's just me being super midwestern about hollywood i guess (laughs) well that's like a no i i i think that hollywood and we've talked about this in and out but hollywood gives you this mindset that it's not a body of work it's the work that you're doing like right now and like as East Coast, Midwest, maybe anybody who doesn't live on the fucking West Coast, (laughs) we view it totally differently. And like the world, and the world is just proving us right time and time again (laughs) that it (laughs) cannot be one single thing. It has to be a body. Well, and that's the that's the thing though, that because that having that big success can be just as much of a curse as it is a blessing. Mm -hmm. Like I, I would say more so. 
more so, I listened to an interview with Adam West recently on a walk today, and he was talking about like Batman. Adam West? The Adam West? This was an old interview. So he was saying in the interview that he was like, you know, when I saw the script for 60s Batman and I got what it was and that it was this campy joke and I knew exactly how I wanted to play it, he's like, all of the critics somehow took away, the takeaway was that this is a comedy, but Adam West isn't in on the joke. And for like 20 years, it was very difficult for him to get work. He's like, I literally got fired out of a cannon in a Batman suit at one point just so I could make enough money what? to like cover a year's worth of mortgage. And it wasn't until he leaned into the joke and said, sure, I'm Adam West, who's not in on the joke, that he started getting cast in all types of movies and shows just playing Adam West. Uh-huh. And it was like... But it's like, that's what it took. Like, no one... This is like a dude who's like a classically trained actor who's very intelligent. I think that we would, like, I'm just thinking about how, like, if Keith Gordon was that guy. If Keith Gordon was that guy who we were like, he was in Christine, and then, like, that was it. You he's... You basically just find him at, like, an airport hotel signing autographs every couple weeks. Like, Like, I would be like, oh, God. I I actually might taint my (laughs) view of the movie. Which would be yeah. terrible, <laughs> but, yeah, but Carpenter's but never really like had. Hard worker. Carpenter's yeah. never really. It doesn't feel like he's ever really worked with anybody like that, except the one guy who still goes to conventions, Charles Moran, as I like so. first Michael Myers. Yep. Um, yes. That guy. Maybe that's the maybe that's the one guy. Is it Charles Moran? But but you know I know what? who, you, I, I know I who you're talking that, about. You know who I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. But I also think that John Carpenter's an interesting character in the sense that. Time and time again, like you look at his career trajectory, he loves taking a risk on the unknown actors. Because he does not give a fuck. Because no. <laughs> he's got a Lakers game to watch. Yeah, it's like <laughs> untested actors, yeah. a lot of it. Like, even like something as simple as like, all right, I'm going to put Rodney Piper as the lead in my movie. Like, it's like, that's kind of a ballsy move okay. to have like the budget to make a movie. And you're like, all right, I'm going to take a risk that this actor, this wrestler is going to be able to carry this entire movie on his shoulders. Yeah, yeah but like, I think that's he, also just, just a testament to John Carpenter as a fucking director. He's like, yeah. I know exactly what I want from you, and I'm going to get it, and we're all going to go home and make some money, and it'll be <laughs> fine. But And I've said this a thousand times, but John Carpenter also is the king of just making the movie that John Carpenter wants to watch. Yep. Like, Amen to that. I, I think that man, him and Toby Hooper are like the two men that I think just straight up refused to hear anything that a studio had to suggest about Which their Which I think we're going to return to Toby Hooper uh, later on this year, if I uh, remember correctly. I know. I know what you're picking, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm for it. Because I'm thirsty. I just want to <laughs> drop this real quick. One from Fat Orange Cat called. She drives a second generation four door Plymouth satellite. I it wasn't a it so wasn't close. a Belvedere, but it was, it was so. <laughs> wait, close. wait, wait! I thought that it, wasn't this a wasn't this a Fury? So I actually I, I might it might have been. I thought it was a um a Belvedere, but I don't know shit about cars. Model. From what yeah, I read, clueless. I believe that the Fury was the Belvedere was the Fury. Ex- with yes. different with a di- it was like the Belvedere frame mm-hmm. with a different like skin basically on top of it which is ironic because you know christine can reinflate her shot her shit when she gets hit up yeah why can't christine just become a new car why can't she just become a girlfriend and make these fucking incels happy instead of making them murder people <laughs> can we talk about how good that reinflation still looks did in this you movie? read up on how time. they did it it was all mm-hmm. hydraulics mm-hmm. was it it they was said, like- plastic with hydraulics behind it where they would actually 
they the the plastic was with the hydraulics inflated and then they would remove the air so it would crumple and then they would reverse it it's, blew it's my fucking ingenious. mind. It's ingenious. It's ingenious. So good. And the thing about <laughs> that is that I know that people are going to be like, oh, it's practical effects. You shouldn't be shocked by it. It's 1983. But like when I go back and look at how good that shit looks, I think that any good practical effect should be like sleight of hand. It should be it should be magic. It should be, yeah. you know, like stage magic where you're like, how did they do that? And even when you know, yeah. it's still enchanting. I right. love that shit. Well, that's, I mean, that's what made me like something like Penn and Teller where they go up there and they're literally showing you how they do the and trick and somehow the trick is more yeah. impressive. Yeah. Yes. Like, it's like, it is. It's like, that's, I mean, that's why we read Fango the way that we did. That's why we like cared about right. that stuff. And, and Carpenter like, fucking knows how to like direct and shoot that shit or like where it's going to like, cause I, all mm-hmm. I think of is the thing too, you know, it's like oh my God, every yeah. fucking effect in the thing. And obviously, I mean, this is to the special effects people. I don't want to say, you know, it's not oh, just yeah. Carpenter, but it's like the knowledge and the understanding of where those things are going to land in your piece. It's like, and, and what they're well, going to yeah. do to an audience. Knowing the placement of shots. God. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like those I headlights turning much, on before it happens. That's, just like, that's what I was going to say. That shot of his silhouette as the headlights kick on before anything happens is just as impressive and like chilling as watching the car mm-hmm. like come to life yeah. again. Like, yeah. Cause on paper, I don't want to watch Christine on paper. I don't want to fucking watch this movie. the reason why this is only the second time I've ever watched yes. it. <laughs> right. It was literally right. us spending almost a year talking it up that i was like yeah. hmm, maybe we should talk about christine yeah and you that know? could have easily backfired that could like you oh, know what i, I mean? thought like, that it was going to because the mm-hmm. first song that you hear is bad to the bone which is my least favorite fucking song in the world well, do you know the full did you read the full story on that yes that, that George, George Thorogood was Thurgood supposed got to be in the final the scene because he can't <laughs> act so George Thorogood <laughs> can't act can't sing can't write a fucking song why is he famous Fuck you, George. Know, I, I don't mind one bourbon, one scotch, one B. Oh, uh, all, the all twenty-two guy. minutes of it. Uh, <laughs> you know what I want is I want this movie re-fucking cast, and I want the fucking Steve Miller band to be <laughs> the song, <laughs> and then we get Steve Miller, who may or may not still be alive. I don't mm-hmm. know. I think he still is because he was my first concert. <laughs> was Steve Miller and George Thorogood? Oh, <laughs> not a joke. God. Oh, you're a George Thurgood apologist, you fuck. <laughs> no, dead serious. <laughs> that was the first concert I ever went to. Uh, followed followed immediately by the Skabania 98 tour where I saw the Insiders, Five Iron, and Supertones. Okay, well, that, that makes <laughs> this up explains for a George Thurgood Live. Yeah, yeah this explains I, a lot the damage that was done. I love Steve Miller Band as a kid, and I still don't hate Steve uh, Miller Band. I, hate, I never liked adult. Steve Miller Band until I had to sit through them play for four 50 minutes before seeing journey and i was like this is the worst night of my life and then journey came (laughs) on with only the young and i was or no they opened up with be good to yourself and i was like (gasps) much better now you know i was so much happier so you probably knew this uh cassettes our friends in cassettes very briefly had a journey cover band can't stop won't stop believing no i did not know that (laughs) sean i saw them live a couple times (laughs) sean was in it Sean was the drummer, Joe was the bassist, and then Goldie played guitar, and then it was a girl that he worked with at the gym singing vocals and her girlfriend playing keyboards. And they that did, makes me uh, laugh like... so hard that they had to find a woman to play Steve Perry's parts. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to tell you this story about Separate Ways. My next-door neighbor when I was growing up 
had this impressively powerful stereo system. And man, did that dude love two songs by Journey. <laughs> and man, did he play those two songs back to back to back. And one of them was Separate Ways, and the other one was Wheel in the Sky. Oh, and we would be we would be in the pool, and it would just be like, Wheel in the Sky keeps, keeps on, on turning. turning. <laughs> then immediately followed by like, Someday love will find you. And then that song ends, and right back into Wheel in the Sky. <laughs> like, it was just a loop of those two songs forever. Hours on end. Side note: This is the same. This is the same strange neighbor that in the summer it was too hot to cut the grass, so he would cut the grass at night with his wife following him in the front of the lawnmower with a flashlight, so he could see. Where oh the wow! Were. So he's the lawnmower <laughs> man. That's the fucking funniest <laughs> shit I've ever heard. <laughs> Just got too hot here in Pennsylvania. Uh, so, so are we talking about Christine? Honey, honey, it's I, ten I, o'clock. We gotta go mow the lawn. <laughs> I don't want to upset anybody in the morning. Yeah, let's do it at ten o'clock. Ten o'clock's the perfect time. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so Christine, I mean, hey, I gotta tell you guys gotta, a couple things. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about the violence in this movie. No, 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 no. We gotta talk about the music and then the violence. Okay. So okay. Also, the violence in this movie, there's none. It was gonna get yeah. a PG <laughs> rating, and they had to add fuck more so that they could get an R because this came out in '83, and there was no PG-13 rating at the time. We'll come back to that. The, the, so the first song is uh, Bad to the Bone. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like biting my fingers, nervous about it. And then it immediately goes into Not Fade Away by Buddy Holly. I'm like, whew, you know, just like <laughs> patting my forehead. And then the rest of the movie is all just bangers from yeah. the late 50s. Until those credits hit and then and Scott then shuts the it off as quickly as possible. <laughs> Fucking hell. I love that. I just guy. knew the music was going to be your shit, too. I was just like, <laughs> as soon as the cover of Not Fade Away, like the different oh, version and I of Not Fade Away switched. I've never heard that cover, but I, I never liked heard that cover, Or I hadn't heard that cover, obviously, since we watched the well, movie. I didn't but notice I heard... it when I was in high school listening right, to this, watching right. this. Right, but I was like, oh, I was like, Scott's going to love this, and then he's going to do his own version, and it's just going to be great. Well, um, I mean, Guitarpenter we... has to have at least a couple things from this, and I can bring it. I can bring in some of that that mm-hmm. '50s rock mm-hmm. when I do the the Christine theme. Um, the best thing about this, though, is that when I do Guitarpenter. And Kyle, I know Matt saw, but did you see that I'm going to do a? It's going to be a split EP with Diargento. Diargento so is going gent, to be Argento songs. So, <laughs> so, so excited. So stupid. Just so you know, the Not Fade Away cover is performed by Tanya Tucker, who sings Delta, Delta Dawn, Dawn which is such a great song. That's that's Hunter's like <laughs> bedtime song. That was like what I sang wow. to him to Holy get him to hell. sleep. Like one of the one of like the four or five songs in my set list uh, when I <laughs> used to rock him to sleep it was Delta Dawn. Oh my god! A song I that I learned because of me first in the Gimme Gimmies and then learned to love the original. I did well. not know that that was her that's amazing i had the soundtrack <laughs> at one point and it literally went right to horror finds it, it, did, quickly. I it didn't. didn't well it didn't make it onto the soundtrack that's how i found out i just uh, checked oh shit yeah okay. well they no didn't need two copies of it yeah they, there was four <laughs> right. or five songs that never made it onto the soundtrack abba's the name of the game bonnie rates runaway richie valens come on let's go tanya tucker's cover of not fade away and rolling stones beast of burden Oh, well, I'm really happy yeah. about that because fuck the Stones. They have no place <laughs> being in this movie. They they um, don't fit also, at all. No, they're still uh, on the classic Blumhouse, rock station. Of, of yeah, that. Blumhouse is working on a remake of this. Uh, yeah, and Brian Fuller's writing it. Are you, dude? <laughs> I go. Let's my go. soul left my body just then. <laughs> wow. I love that. 
Wow. I love the sound yeah, of that. Okay with that. And they're looking at the director of Cube to direct it. That's huge, Good for too. Him. Honestly. Good for him. It's going to be Jason Bloom with the directors of Cube and the guy who directed the Ginger Snaps trilogy. Wow. Like all collaborating on this Brian Fuller penned remake. That has every. Quick, guys, let's get it's... into a doorway and stack on top of each other. Yeah, but but <laughs> literally, that's like one of those things. Ricked right now. Yeah, that's like literally one of those situations where it's like, y'all could, it's y'all to f- fuck this up. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, you can, like if you if no this way. is awful, it's you got you. It's your fault. It's your fault. Yeah, you did. Like, everybody yeah. was fine, and whoever's like, uh, yeah, whoever has the money fucked it up. Yeah, yeah. So oh, also, it. I gotta say that. Um, it, when I do Guitarpenter and my Christine song, there are two great lines. It's the really horny best friend of Dennis. Uh, when he sees Lee for the first time, oh. he goes, she smiled at me. I want to have deep, meaningful sex with her. <laughs> yes. I want to say that that is, so I'm pretty sure that's Richie. Yeah. He's and got like he looks, three lines and they're all great. Mm-hmm. And if he looks vaguely familiar, he's the guy that Peter Venkman keeps electrocuting no, 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 in the no, no, beginning no. of Ghost. Okay, That's not that Buddy's guy. best friend. He's the guy okay. who gets the shock treatment scene at the beginning of yeah. Ghostbusters and spits out his gum. <laughs> I have that as a note too. I wasn't even going to hit that, but you got to it. No, no, it's, it's, it's Dennis's best friend, other best friend. Gotcha. When And he's gotcha. like giving Arnie shit because Arnie can't open his locker. And But he's like just – he's such a horn dog. And he pushes Dennis to go talk to Lee for the first time. Also, this is a weird fucking high school because Kelly Preston is apparently not hotter than the, the woman who played Lee. No kidding. Yeah. And I that's crazy to me because she looks like <laughs> – she looks like Marty McFly's mom. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the bar. <laughs> yeah, the bar. <laughs> the bar is This up movie here. also got to give credit. I, beyond the fact that I just, I mean, obviously we're 27 minutes into recording this. If the listeners haven't figured it out, I'm pretty sure it's safe to say all three of us like this movie. But like, I uh, yeah, laughed more than I thought I was going to laugh while watching this it movie. Is like, way the, lighter. The than lines I are really fun. Yeah, and it was going to be funnier. They cut some of that shit. There were 20 yeah. deleted scenes, and a lot of them were jokes, I believe. Spoiler alert Christine's great, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's only 38 years old. Yeah. Deep cut. I know it's a it's one of our more obscure films we've talked about <laughs> on this show. It's I, no mosquito, but or, or Loch Ness Horror. Right. But if you've if you've heard of this deep cut, yeah, Christine's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, you know where to find us. <laughs> I just feel like in the same way that we're like we can always be like I don't know what our favorite carpenter is. A lot of times it's like I, I mean I think we can always pick our least favorite carpenter, but it's like <laughs> it's it's that rotating. It's but but of the carpenters that were like oh those are great. It's this rotating list where like something always falls to the bottom. You know, yes. and it's like right now, it's like if it's if my favorite is the most recent one, truly my least favorite right now has to be the one I haven't watched in a long time. Is it fucking Halloween? I don't know. Like, yeah. what would, like you know what I mean? Like, um, it's just crazy. It's, it's just crazy. It's Halloween. It's Halloween. It's, yeah. But again, it's one of those things where you also have to just focus on. And I think I did this on the fog, too. But I just want to remind everybody the incredible run of movies in a row that he did. <laughs> yeah. Do it again. Before List he them. started to dip. Because you go from. I mean, we'll even start all the way in the beginning, right? Like, he did Dark Star. He did Assault on Precinct three, uh, 13. But then it's mm-hmm. Halloween, Someone's Watching Me, The Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, Christine, Starman, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness, They Live, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, and, and In the Mouth of Madness. Then you really start to hit the rough patch yeah. mm-hmm. that is, like... The Village of the Damned remake, Escape from L.A., Vampires, Ghosts of Mars, and The Ward. And you start to wonder um, if it's really his fault or if he's just understanding the system and he's just like, whatever. 
Like, you know, yeah. it's like he's going to make his money no matter what. He's got mm-hmm. a name by the by 2000. What, what was Ghost Mars? 2001, 2002. I just feel like he is so good that even like, OK, Escape from L.A. That was the that was the second one, right? Yep. Yes. It's stupid as fuck. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's fun. It's and fun. Ghost of Mars, fun. they are pushing Ghost of Mars real hard and vampires real hard on Netflix at me right now. I was I, I yep. got on a Netflix last night to watch something and fall asleep and it's like, watch John Carpenter's vampires. And it's like mm-hmm. right after it's like escape from L.A. And I'm like, I don't really want to, but I also am probably going to eventually get to it. You know, yeah. like a bad John Carpenter is still a lot better than most Netflix. 91 Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers. Listen to 91 Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of Tacky and White and Nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. All right, Scott. What's a double feature you got for this bad boy? Rubber. Perfect. All right. <laughs> Enough to say. You bitch. <laughs> you suck, you jerk, dude. If you uh, if you're not paying to watch those videos, oh you up your Patreon donation just to watch Kyle choke on a beer. <laughs> I remember my first beer. It didn't happen Don't, yet. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I honestly, I really just I want to watch more Carpenter, but I want to watch something that's like not tame at all. And we had mentioned it. Uh, earlier, but I I want to watch Ghosts of Mars after this. Um, <laughs> it's out I just think there. That, all right. I, th- I just think that like Christine is such a perfectly tight, like pure Carpenter, uh, pure Stephen King. Like it's it it just hit. It's just so clean. Would you call Ghosts it of Mars a grounded what? film? <laughs> I would. 
<laughs> I would. You uh, it's very, it's very grounded. Very grounded. It's got all wheels on the ground, and Ghost of Mars is just up in the sky. It's just fucking. It's the wheel in the sky. Way. It's a wheel in the sky. It just keeps on turning. <laughs> and I don't know what I'll pick for a double feature next week. Uh, all right, I wasn't really sure what I was going to go with for a double feature, but we were recording this back to back with last week's episode, Sorority Babes, uh, at the Slime Ball Bolorama, <laughs> and. Kyle had mentioned Night Shift movie that he mm-hmm. watched, and what it triggered in my brain was a movie that I saw at the last Fantastic Fest I went to in person that would actually be perfect with Christine, which is Vast of Night, oh, yeah. which is a incredible science fiction horror film that takes place in the 50s, so you've got that whole like greaser aesthetic going throughout the film. Really, I just need an excuse to rewatch that I've movie. I've not heard it's been of this. Vast oh, of the Night. Vast of Night is great. And it's the Vast on, of Night, it's a uh, it's on, on Prime. Yeah. The way that the director explained it at Fantastic Fest was he was trying to make a Twilight Zone episode. God, like a feature-length I, Twilight Zone episode. So okay. it's literally the day of the big basketball game, the two teenagers who work at the local radio station pick up alien signals and are trying to warn the rest of the town, but added, they have no means of getting to where everybody is at the basketball game. I added it to my list. All you had to say was 50 sci-fi in like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the past five years, and I'm, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm it's, there. It's, and some amazing drone work in that. Uh, Scott, speaking of movies that Kyle's about to watch, what have you watched recently that you think people should check out? Can I do a, promo- a self-promotion instead? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, thank you. I would have probably done not it even. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 go for it, buddy. Man, you got me <laughs> so good. I was hoping that you'd say yes because I don't have anything interesting to talk about otherwise. For listeners that don't know me, I had a '50s rock and roll band called Survivor Girl for a couple years, and all the songs were trying to be authentic '50s rock and roll. And every song was from the point of view of a different killer in a horror movie or a monster. That band has gone into hiatus, stasis, whatever. But I still love 50s rock. And I have for the last couple years at this point, um, I've been ramping it up this year in particular. But um, for the last little bit, I have been doing 50s rock covers of pop punk songs from the late 90s, early 2000s. I think it's a lot of fun. And I'm going to do the inverse where I do... So I'm calling this Punk Goes 50s. Um, I'm going to also do 50s Goes Punk later on where I do the more traditional uh, pop punk interpretations of very obscure songs from the 50s. Probably a lot of girl groups from the early 60s as well because um, that stuff is super fun. But yeah, um, if you like that, uh, please look up... Just look up um, The Misfits... Uh, Saturday night 1950s cover on YouTube. You'll find it. Um, I am on YouTube as I believe just Scott Rogers. So it's Scott Roger music. So if you want to look me up, um, I'm just putting music out all the time. Um, and it's just for fun. It's just for me. I can't monetize it because they're covers. So it's unlikely that you will ever see it on Spotify or anything like that. That matter but you can always find it on youtube and um i might wrap it up i might take everything that i've done like the raw files um master it remix everything master it and do like a a free album when i get to like 15 songs or something like that and do the best of everything so yeah but that's that's what i wanted to pimp out a little bit since it's it's christine 1950s you know it, it makes sense 
it makes sense and it's so fucking fun. They're 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 such fun covers. <laughs> I'm Thank so happy you. I that you so put them out. I have so much fun making them and the best part is when I get to do like the falsetto background vocals because I oh, wait until Megan's be gone <laughs> that yeah. I make the most absurd sounds you can imagine. I imagine you still go in the shower just to like really make it like authentic. <laughs> it's actually right in this room. I practice in the shower. Uh, okay. There are all two right, things right. I practice. do in the shower. There's it's a practice space and there's a recording studio. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then I practice. All right. Anyway. You say you think um, about us? I, I think about you guys when I practice Stop for my it. 50s rock and roll. Stop um, it. So, Kyle, what do you want to talk about, buddy? So, I'm, I'm done with my Chattanooga Film Festival recap. <laughs> um, and I have moved back to my normal stomping grounds, which is Vinegar Syndrome releases. And they yep. recently <laughs> they put out a movie called Red Surf, which stars Ooh, George perfect. Clooney as the lead and Gene Simmons as a one-off boss character, very similar to his... A role in Never Too Young to Die, which I hope that the patrons will eventually pick okay. uh, as a, a movie to watch. But uh, it's a movie about. It's just. It's. It doesn't. I'm not going to tell you what it's about. It doesn't fucking matter. What matters is that George Clooney is a fucking actor. Like he is. He he brings and like he plays his particular character very similar to a George Clooney but he's like he's like a California biker who was like into drugs and crime and like but he plays it as real as like I could imagine uh, a a criminal biker from 1990 in California <laughs> like it's just you know who's still likes to like is still pretty chill because he's on the west coast but is uh, into drugs and Red Surf is just I watched it expecting a bad movie. And the content is very 90s action bad. But the performances, besides Gene Simmons, which we all understand. Phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, which, which was Oscar worthy. <laughs> snubbed. <laughs> snubbed, truly. No, it's just, it's just like, it just is, it does feel like a time capsule, but not in the way that like those 90s action movies feel like a time capsule of the type of production that they were. It feels more like a time capsule of like maybe they knew people who were like this or like maybe they like those characters are written like truly like decently. Like there's like two or three house parties that they go to that I'm like, that's just a generation or two away from like the shit that you would go to if you were out there. Like it's mm-hmm. not far off, but the, 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 the story like there's surfing there's very little surfing for a movie called red surf i'm I'm actually disappointed that it's not a killer surfer movie because like that if if i were to have a surf band if there isn't a band called red surf i'm taking it yeah no and and i would i hope that you do uh there's so little surfing in this it's almost (laughs) it's almost disastrous (laughs) Uh, but the the, but the movie is 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 just a lot of fun i don't know when or where you can see it i know that vinegar syndrome did like a a limited release and i would recommend getting it it's just it's just really it's just really an interesting piece it's an interesting piece i had a lot of fun watching it i watched man versus b uh, or what it should have been called, B versus Bean. Two times, huh? Um, Two but, times. Two times. I'm just having a lot of fun with you guys tonight. But, uh, <laughs> but Scott, you know, last week, last week you asked me about what is the point of putting out episodic stuff when people are going to binge it anyway. And Man versus B is actually a really interesting case study. Wait, it's because- an episodic thing? 
it was shot as a movie, and then when they sold yeah. it to Netflix, they re-edited the movie to be an homage to, be? to like to be uh, <laughs> to, to be, be an homage. It's ah. essentially a weird, no, more like a quibby. Um, <laughs> but it was it was designed to be similar to like a short form comedy, like similarly to like what you would see at the start of a Pixar movie or even more appropriately in like the 1930s when you would go to the movies and you would see like a Three Stooges short or or like those little concise eight-minute comedy bits. So they took this 90-minute movie where Rowan Atkinson essentially is destroying a house because of a bee, which I'll get into one other thing. It may be a stolen idea, actually, uh, which is a bummer. Yeah, Jade. But we know. <laughs> yes. They stole it right <laughs> out from underneath her. God um, damn it. But if you like slapsticky stuff, so I know Scott will not be watching this, nope. you will enjoy it for what it is. But it is really interesting to watch nine episodes of something that is eight minutes a piece in the same world where Stranger Things is dropping with like an hour and 15 minute long episodes. Like it's like, oh, you mean because streaming doesn't have like scheduled times, you can also make things shorter as opposed to longer than a normal TV show episode? Like that's kind of novel. I watched a, a video about it by a YouTube channel called Hats Off that does really good dissections of like why does comedy work? And they were talking about how John Hughes on at the peak of Home Alone wrote a script called The Bee, which was about a contractor who was just about to finish a house, but he's losing his mind trying to kill a bee and ends up destroying like the months of work that he put into this house trying to just kill this, this one bee. Holy and shit. one of the people that he was looking to cast was Rowan Atkinson. That's especially fucked. Yeah, so now here we are. Rowan Atkinson has co-written a movie or a, a TV series called The Man vs. Bee. Now, in, in Rowan Atkinson's defense, before John Hughes' script... There was a short episode of the Mr. Bean TV show where Mr. Bean tears up a park trying to kill a bee. Yes. So, I mean, I, I feel like you can only own so much of the idea of man versus bee. But uh, it it was an interesting experiment. It, it's interesting to just see and like knowing that it was a movie that they re-edited it entirely to be a TV show. You got to stop of saying the word bee. I can't help it. It's an important conjecture word to this <laughs> sentence. Um, but yeah, it it was all right. Like, it's more absurd than anything. Like, the concept of the movie is ridiculous. And uh, I, I will say what the guy in Hats Off said, because he said it really well. He's like, comedy is the one form of filmmaking and writing where your characters can make the dumbest decision possible because the audience is just like, whatever. As long as it makes me laugh, I don't care. Because there's stuff like... That's the true. dog has the dog has a collar that will activate the door to open and close the doggy door to open and close. Rowan Atkinson gets locked outside. He gets the dog collar off of the dog, and a normal human being would obviously just put the thing next to the thing to open it. But he puts it around his neck to try to come in through the doggy door, and then as he gets to a certain length of point where he's no longer by the doggy door, doggy door shuts on him. So it's like just dumb. For the sake of dumb, but you can watch all nine episodes in a hour or nine? so. So, yeah, they did nine episodes of this, nine times. Uh, that's <laughs> another John Hughes reference. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Nice. <laughs> that was all. That was just a big setup. Yeah, this that's, whole that's fucking all I was episode. leading up to. But yeah, Man vs. B. <laughs> I gave it a shot. 
I will still always call it B versus Bean, but that's just me. So that was Christine as picked by Scott. I spent the entire day thinking it was picked by Kyle, actually. So no, well, no, I said was. the B. It's picked by Carly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Carly no, influenced this this whole. She had the thing. literally Carly sure. is Christine. She's making us do things that we don't necessarily want to do. Yeah. Right, right. I know Women it. Anyway, well, she huh? just has that way. Huh? It's a psychologist thing. It's all fucked for sure. Uh, but we'll be back next week with more horror movie night. Also, don't forget to shoot us some emails: hmnpodcast at gmail Just say hi. We want to hear from you. We love you. All that good jazz. All right, later. Ninety-one Donkey Lane is a magical apartment complex that contains immense power, but lacks intelligent inhabitants. What is happening? I'm getting texts. Why are we getting a lot of texts? People found out what we did. Oh, dividing Mike Myers into an infinite amount of tiny Mike Myers? Listen to Ninety-One Donkey Lane for free on Spotify or your favorite podcasting app. More at 91donkeylane.com. See you there, you donkeys. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm. Available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 